0: The Gospel lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, the ninth chapter, verses 18 to 20. So listen now for the word of the Lord. Once when Jesus was praying alone with only the disciples near him, he asked them, "'Who do the crowds say that I am?' They answered, "'John the Baptist,' but others, Elijah, and still others say that you're one of the prophets.' who has arisen? And Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Messiah of God. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit, heavenly dove, with all thy quickening power, Come shed abroad a Savior's love that it may kindle ours. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. For those of you who are luckier than I, who have actually made it into the room where it happens... You know the excitement when the stage lights come up on Broadway, and actors in their revolutionary era costumes begin snapping, and the snare drum rolls, and the stage light focuses on Aaron Burr, who tells the story of a famous man. How does a bastard orphan son of a... And a Scotsman dropped in the middle of a forgotten spot in the Caribbean, by providence impoverished. In squalor, grow up to be a hero and a scholar. Well, the word got around. They say this kid's insane, man. Took up a collection just to send him to the mainland. Get your education. Don't forget from whence you came, for the world's going to know your name. What's your name? Alexander Hamilton. Some of you are Hamilton fans. I know it. The world's going to know your name is the theme of that song. And those opening lyrics to Lin-Manuel Miranda's musical outline the many biographical details of Hamilton's life in a lot more verses than the ones I just sang. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And as the lyrics unpack, when someone begins to develop a following people start to talk. And in doing so, they make all sorts of claims about who you are and what your purpose is. When the world's going to know your name, a lot of people are going to say a lot of things. And that's what was happening with Jesus in the midst of his ministry as well. Jesus had been traveling the countryside for some time now, according to Luke's gospel. He'd begun to draw crowds, some 5,000 of them whom he had just fed with just a few loaves and some fish. And just a few verses earlier in Luke's gospel, we learn that even King Herod had begun asking the crowds about Jesus because people were talking. For the king, anyone who might threaten his power was someone worth keeping an eye on. And when the world's going to know your name, people will talk. So the question is what were they saying? Jesus asked this morning, and they said some say that he was John the Baptist, others Elijah, others a prophet. And that left Herod wondering, just like the crowd, is Jesus a gift? Is he a threat? Is he ignorable or a force to be reckoned with? And regardless of how they answered that question, the fact remained that they were asking, which meant that people were paying attention. And at this point in the gospel, Jesus knew that people were talking about him. The crowds around his preaching and teaching had grown in size such that he was having to make his way to a deserted place to pray and recharge with his disciples, which is where we meet him this morning. Jesus knows who he is, he knows the weight of his call in his very body and spirit. But I get the sense that Jesus at this point in the gospel is trying to get a sense for who is it that the crowds and the disciples understand him to be now. And he's curious enough that he asks the, the disciples, who do people say that I am? It occurs to me that we say a lot of things about Jesus, even today. If someone asked you who is Jesus, what would you say? Is it an easy question or one that leaves you tongue-tied? If your kids came from Sunday school this morning and they say, Mommy, who's Jesus? Do you feel confident in your response? Or do you say, I don't know, go go ask Pastor Katie. I asked the partner with the preacher Bible study this week, and they gave a variety of solid, theologically grounded, true responses. Jesus is a truth-teller. A teacher and a rabbi, a shepherd, a servant leader, a witness, a savior, a rebel, a prophet, a healer, the prince of peace. Jesus is, in fact, all of those things. To be human is to have multiple ways that we identify ourselves through relationships and skills and vocation and values. And in that regard, Jesus is no different. But which one of those descriptors we choose, which one we emphasize, points to what we think is important about who Jesus is. If Jesus is primarily a rabbi to us, then maybe all we're supposed to get from him is simply to learn how to live. If Jesus is a shepherd, then maybe we are looking for a spiritual guide. If Jesus is a revolutionary, then maybe we're called to flip some tables of injustice just like he did in the temple. The thing is that despite all of those descriptors, Jesus is still something more. I find that every time I try to put Jesus in a box, Jesus breaks out of it. The world tried to put Jesus in a tomb and in the garden on Easter morning, we learned that Jesus cannot be contained. Jesus is always going to be more than the limits that our ideas and language try to put on him. And yet, the words that we choose for who Jesus is matter. When the world's going to know your name, people are going to say a lot of things. And in this morning's exchange with Jesus and the disciples, he leans into one identity more than any of the others. After he asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? He asks them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter responds, perhaps on behalf of all the disciples, you are the Messiah. That one sticks. Jesus is the Messiah. But perhaps it's an antiquated word, right, Messiah? Outside of our liturgy in worship, my suspicion is that Messiah is maybe not the primary way that most of you answer that question. But it's how Peter, the rock upon whom the church is built, answered that question, and Jesus didn't deny it. So what does it mean to be a Messiah? At its core, it's a faith statement, Jesus is the assurance of things hoped for, as we hear in the book of Hebrews. To confess that Jesus is Messiah, is the Christ, is to affirm that he is the one that the world has waited for. Messiah literally means anointed one. And thus, the Messiah is the one who fulfills all of the holy offices that were set apart by God and marked by some kind of ritual anointing. In the Old Testament, that included prophets, priests, and kings. And our Reformed theology has picked up on that language such that all of our confessions in one way or another affirm that Jesus is Messiah, prophet, priest, and king. But even those are loaded words that maybe we need to unpack a little bit. So a prophet is understood as one who is called to proclaim the word of God, often a difficult word. Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann says that we often think of prophets as moral teachers, but he argues that prophets are more than that. Prophets have their roots in tradition, but they're also called out of their particular time and place to imagine their contemporary world differently than the old tradition. Prophets, therefore, for Brueggemann hold tradition and imagination together. And Jesus was doing just that. Every time he preached, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard it said, but I say to you, Jesus is taking that tradition and imagining it in light of God's kingdom of heaven, which proclaims release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and reflects that jubilee year when all are set free. Okay, so Jesus is a prophet. I think we can get behind that one. We often understand a priest as one who is called to keep holy practices, the rituals of the community that connect us to God. And certainly Jesus cared about sacred practices. He kept a robust prayer life. He knew the commandments. But Jesus cared more about the ways in which those sacred rituals drew us to God than he did about the legalism of those priestly practices. He wasn't going to let old rules get in the way of encountering God. So Jesus was a priest, but he was a priest who healed on the Sabbath and who touched those who were ritually unclean and who ate with outcasts because he was committed to the role of priest as one who helped us encounter the holy, one who helped us draw near to God. We can affirm this about Jesus, right? My suspicion is that Christ as king is the one that maybe we feel the most uncomfortable with. We are Americans, after all. Even with all of our love for Queen Elizabeth II, we've also seen the articles in the past week following her death about whether or not the world has any need for kings today anyway. We think of kings historically as rulers who dominate and rule over others, often with military might. But Jesus commanded no armies. He ruled only with the force of love. And the kingdom of heaven that Jesus proclaimed doesn't look like a kingdom with boundaries and walls, with armies and battles, with thrones and divine decrees. The kingdom he comes to proclaim provides mercy and grace and love that overpower all of those powers in this world. He's a different kind of king than the Jews were waiting for. He's not lord over all, but suffering servant of all. And even in his final days when he makes his triumphal entrance into Jerusalem, he does so on the back of a humble colt. Jesus' kingship doesn't fit the definition of king as we think of it, and yet he proclaims again and again that he, he, he is here to share the kingdom of God. When the world's going to know your name, the people will say all kinds of things. The question is, who do we say Jesus is? And Jesus, Peter says that Jesus is Messiah, prophet priest, and king. So perhaps you're sitting here thinking, um, this is nice, this has turned into a lovely theology lecture, um, but why does this matter? T.S. Eliot once wrote, every now and then life drops an unavoidable question at your door. And I have to think that Jesus, as Eliot puts it, has dropped this unavoidable question at our door. Who do you say that I am? In the world today where Christian nationalism is on the rise at the same time that religious identity as Christians is declining, how we answer that question matters a great deal. Who do you say that I am? And is it a personal question or a communal one? In English, we hear it as an individual question, and it certainly matters how each of us answers it. But if Jesus were Southern, we would have heard in his question that it's not just a question for you or for me, because in the Greek, Jesus actually asks, who do y'all say that I am? And it matters how we answer that question, because it shapes the kind of church that we are going to be. So who do people say that we are as Morningside Presbyterian? Would they say that we are followers of Jesus the Messiah? And in what ways are we as a church modeling Jesus Christ as prophet, priest, and king? Are we living into Christ's prophetic call? Our commitment to inclusivity and welcome of all of God's beloved children is in the bones of Morningside as much as it is in the heart of the gospel. And for decades, this church has been clear about the inclusion of all people, particularly those who are LGBTQ, as not only biblically grounded but aligned with Christ's vision of the kingdom of God. And so as we celebrate that aspect of Christ's prophetic call, we realize that the question has lots and lots of layers, because we are still wrestling as a community with how to be authentic in our welcome across racial and ethnic lines and across lines of ability. Are we doing Christ's priestly work? Do you know that we've celebrated 16 baptisms in the last two years? That is some holy, sacramental work. But the challenge is not just to claim that, God is, uh, that our children are God's beloved at the font, but to continue that priestly work that takes shape as we live out the baptismal promises we make to our children. As we live them out in teaching Sunday school and helping with MPC kids, as much as the ways that we do so informally at fellowship hour and on retreats. Helping our children encounter God flows from the font into the disciples that we are helping to form in this place. That is some priestly work. Are we doing Christ's kingly work? Kingdom work comes in the form of care and provision for those within our reach. And last week, I don't know if you noticed in the e news, but last week when our neighbors in North Georgia were without potable water because of flooding, it is your gifts and the mission team at this church that took one ton of water to North Georgia. And I don't know if you walked by it this morning, but this week I have watched pots and pans and knives and microwaves come into this congregation so that we can meet the needs of an Afghan refugee family. That's provision. But Christ's kingly work also calls us to provide not just the tangible necessities, but to provide mercy and grace and love to those that we might not otherwise. The way that we form ourselves as a community shapes the way in which we can do Christ's kingly work by living out mercy and grace and love for others. And that's a countercultural thing in this world. So do people see Jesus the Messiah when they see us doing these things? I really believe that today it matters more than ever who we say Jesus is. And if we want to follow Jesus as Messiah, then we worry less about our numbers than we do about our values. If we want to follow Jesus as Messiah, it requires us to put our heart and our time and our money in the places where the kingdom of heaven is unfolding right here on earth. It's just that radical, and it's just that simple. If Jesus asks, Church, Who do y'all say that I am? Do we dare to live as if Jesus is truly our Messiah, the one who guides us as prophet, priest, and king? And are we ready to follow in a way that the world's going to know Jesus' name? May it be so. Amen.